The real shift is in the mindset and the real shift is in the trust that you entrust the people of building the software for you. So you need to really look deeply into when you're doing your change management and avoid falling into the trap of like just doing agile by naming conventions and ceremonies. These are important, but they're not the end all be all. The mindset is the key. Welcome to the Agile Digital Transformation Podcast, where we explore different aspects of digital transformation and digital experience with your host, Tim Butera, Content and Community Manager at Agile Drop. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm joined today by Elad Simon, a former Google executive and the CEO of Craft.io, a product management platform that's tailored specifically to product managers and product development teams. Our topic for today falls within this same context. We'll be talking about product management as key to agile digital transformation. And we'll take a look at the key differences between agile and waterfall first, before going more practical with Elad sharing his own firsthand experiences and tips. So welcome, Elad. It's really great having you here today. And let me start off with the most basic question. Why is product management so important to digital transformation? All right. First of all, hi, Tim, and thanks for having me on your show today. I appreciate the time and I appreciate you. And so let me just kind of dive in directly into product mm-hmm. management, digital transformation. Digital transformation is a very big thing, right? So it's a, it's a very almost, almost like an abused topic in mm-hmm. a way in, in, a lot of, in a lot of large companies. And, and it encompasses everything from changing, you know, moving from like servers, like servers in your server, in your server room into the cloud and from... And moving into agile, into like this, like it's a huge topic. Mm-hmm. Um, however, at its essence, and, and that's kind of you know how I think product management kind of links into it. It's in my mind, it's about shifting the mindset of the enterprise or the company that is going through digital transformation to a more digital mindset. And that concept connects extremely well with the notions of agile and with the notions of product management. And I think I'm, we'll deep dive into the, those two topics. I mean, later. But the reality that in my hand, in my mind, product management is at the essence of this transition into agile, and it's the essence of the transition into how like modern companies like Google and Netflix and Microsoft and the likes are building software for a living right now. And that shift, it's connected. How do I say in the hip mm-hmm. between the concepts of agile and the concept of product management. Because the concepts of agile, in essence, are—I mean, I don't—you know—we'll talk about it more later. But it's it, it, in its essence, the concept of agile is really about transforming the way you think about building software into, like, you know, slicing it into smaller pieces, understanding the customer needs, you know, and, and reiterating and rethinking through your uh, solution all over and over again, which is hand in hand co- combined with product management. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing we're seeing right now, by the way, is, is that companies that are going through this digital transformation, they put product management at the heart of this transformation when it comes to how they build software. So you see more, we see more and more companies shifting into this world of product management and understanding that it's a core capability that they're missing in the organization in order to become digitally transformed. So to kind of sum it up to your question, digital transformation and product management are really deeply intertwined when it comes to how you build software, because how you build software in the modern way is agile and in, with a product manager leading that software building. 
Yeah, because software is basically, you know, your product is the software if you're a software company. So yeah. so in this sense, you know, yeah, if you take an agile approach to software development, that's the, it's inevitable that you'll have to that you'll have to incorporate product management in some way. And it's it's a great starting point because uh, my first experience with agile was actually when I was working in product development and then as a product manager. So yeah, I, I can totally agree with that. I'm totally yeah, on the same page. I, absolutely. I mean, just to your point, by the way, you mentioned like, I mean, for software companies, I think this is like stating the obvious. Mm -hmm. What is the interesting part is that you, you, when you look at digital transformation, in many cases, this is associated with non-software companies, right? So you mm -hmm. think of like the large, you know, FTSE 100, no, no, those la large enterprises. But the reality is, and this is how we see the world and craft, and I think that's how a lot of people see the world nowadays, um, the world software is basically everywhere. There is no enterprise that is going to, quote unquote, escape the need for building software it doesn't exist anymore it would might be not it might not be a consumer facing software but it might be software for their logistics supply chain sales marketing activities it doesn't matter enterprises need to know how to build software well these days even if they're not software companies you know and we have a lot of our customers a lot of customers in craft that are you know non software companies but they're also building software and they're going through digital transformation so like this concept is not limited just to the people who are building software for a living. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially now we're seeing more and more of that as digitalization, as innovation progresses. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, we'll talk more about your experiences, more about your firsthand experiences with previous clients in a little bit. Let's first take a step back and let me ask you, what are the differences between waterfall and agile, mostly in software development? Yeah, I guess, I mean, if you kind of like break it down, I mean, you know, Waterfall and Agile are kind of like the, op you know, they're always perceived to be the opposites mm -hmm. of, uh, of how you build software. And in reality, they kind of are eventually, and, and by the way, these are very interlinked with the concept of project management and product management in general. I, I think those, that differentiation, that differentiation is very similar in, in concept. Basically, when you think about Waterfall software development, it is a very much of a, predefined scope, predefined project notion, and a predefined timeline notion. Mm -hmm. Everything is kind of predefined. And the, let's say the, the variable, the, the thing you play with is the budget. How much money do you want to spend? And like, you know, but eventually it's, it, you have to predefine everything. And then waterfall is like, once you predefine everything, and you sit down with all the stakeholders and agree on everything in advance and write all the specification, then it just becomes like this very massive execution project of a predefined plan. Mm -hmm. I'm obviously ridiculously oversimplifying the concept <laughs> of a waterfall, but as a, as a basic concept, that's how it looks like, right? So you basically, you know, you and I, you're my customer or you're my business counterpart in a, in a big company. You will sit down and say, hey, I need this platform to do this. I'm, I'm in a bank and I need a brokerage platform to do this for me. Then I will sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write all the things you need in this platform. And then you're going to give me money and I'll give you a, a time estimate based on that amount of money. And then I will deliver it to you. And then at the end of the day, I'll say, okay, congratulations, Tim. Here's your software <laughs> and uh, good luck with it. And see you later. I completely, uh, the team dissolves yeah, and, yeah. I, and, and we move on to the next thing. That's how a classic waterfall project looks like. And again, there's a lot more to it, but like an, an agile project 
product basically looks very very different in concept. Basically, what you define, the only thing that is permanent is the team. You say like, I have here a team of X people. X could be 10, could be 50, could be a, a thousand. And I trust them with building the right solutions for my customers. I don't know what they're going to build. And this is a very scary thing for enterprise. Mm-hmm. This is a lot. This is one of the reasons why enterprise are really afraid of the shift from waterfall to agile. Eventually, people always like certainty, and scope is great in terms of certainty. Mm-hmm. It just bad. It, I mean, it just ends up with bad software. That's the only problem with it, right? So, but and with agile, you don't know what the scope is going to be. You just say, hey, I'm going to invest ten people here: product manager, a UX designer. And then like, you know, a couple of developers and a QA people, and they'll build whatever is right. And they'll iterate very quickly on what's right. And they'll have sprints and they may have releases and they may have quarters um, and they'll do planning and they'll check and recheck and continuously check whether what they're building is right or not right for their end users and then iterate and shift along the way. And you really don't know what you're going to get because it's going to change. And you also really don't know when you're going to get it. Actually, there is no concept of when am I going to get it because there is never I'm going to get it. The concept of of waterfall is like I give you an end deliverable and that's it. Now you have it. I gave you an end product. But if you ask Eric Yuan, which is the CEO of Zoom, which is a platform that we're using right now to talk Mm -hmm. to each other, it's not like they've finished building Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. They're continuously building Zoom. It's never ending. It's just that they'll keep adding stuff and shifting things and moving things around. And that's the main shift in Waterfall to Agile. There's no end deliverable. It's, an, it's a live product in, in essence, and then continuously iterates. And of course, you know, sometimes product mature and sometimes product even die, right? So, I mean, you know, people, you know, from time to time, people kill products and that's okay as well. But in essence, when you start a new product in Agile, it doesn't have an end date and it doesn't have a delivery date to it. You might have a delivery date for an MVP. You might say, hey, I'm going to give you something by roughly this. You know, that's like, you know, if, the, if you're like a strict agile practitioner, you may never commit to any dates. You know, the, you have these like very, how do you say, zealous uh, Kanban, I never commit mm-hmm. to a date kind of people in agile. But usually you kind of have a ballpark. Okay, by then, uh, you know, by this time, I'm going to give you something. So it, in essence, that's kind of like the difference between waterfall and agile. And by the way, I'm not proposing that this is horrible and this is good or anything along those lines, right? So, I mean, you have cases where waterfall makes perfect sense. They are diminishing in the world, mm-hmm. but you still have cases where you have very complex software, combination of software and hardware. You have strict dates, strict timelines immediately think of like software that you have in a cockpit of a Boeing airplane, Mm -hmm. right? So that's not a very agile, that's not a very agile software, almost by its definition. The life cycle developing a new plane could be 20 years. And then the training of the pilots could take another 15. It's not like you're going to switch. They don't, you know, like the pilots don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, now software update. And then they start looking at the manual, you know, and reading through how how to fly the plane now. You know, so you have industries that are more prone to be much more waterfall oriented than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have projects that are much more waterfall, waterfall than others. Well, I mean, just this example, right? In one case, the, the worst case scenario is a user can't access a website. In the other, the worst case scenario is the plane falls down, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. So you don't want to be on the, on, the wrong, on the wrong camp in, mm-hmm. the wrong, in the wrong sense. 
And by the way, I mean, funnily enough, there's also the Wagile camp, which is, I don't know if, wow. you've, ever, if you've ever heard about this. Uh, so I've, I've had a few friends from uh, like uh, large consultancies, which I'm not going to name, but basically said like, <laughs> which is like this, you know, com combination of waterfall and agile, right? So like this, like you kind of, you do basically waterfall and you pretend to be agile. So basically mm -hmm. what you do is you take a waterfall project and you slice it into sprints. So people feel like you're doing agile, but it's not really agile because <laughs> you're not actually shifting direction. You're just slicing it into sprints. You know, that doesn't really make it. I mean, the concept of slicing things into sprint and having a scrum master doesn't make you agile. I mean, these are good ceremony, ceremonies for agile, but that's not what makes you agile. What makes you agile is the concept of saying, I don't know where mm -hmm. I'm going. I'm going to have initial thought. I'm going to check it with users. I'm going to then build something, give it to users, get some feedback, iterate on it and iterate and iterate and iterate. And like that motion, that cycle, that never ending cycle is what makes agile agile, not mm -hmm. the scrum ceremonies or if you're using sprints, you know, or Kanban, that's, that doesn't make companies agile in, in effect. Yeah, it, it's possible to introduce agile practices into waterfall project management absolutely but but not i mean but what you described is just like kind of an unnatural attempt of of joining yeah. both yeah yeah and, and it's in practice you end up with the same thing and you can just say that you're agile if, you, if mm -hmm. that's important like if it, you don't end up with a better software i mean what the magic of being agile and of being product-led is that you end up having one faster delivery timelines and you get you end up with something that is better for the users that is more relevant for your end users whoever they may be this could be an internal user in an enterprise or it could be a consumer using your app it doesn't matter you end up with something that is actually better for the users and that's for me is what i mean in many cases i i guess you probably know that in many cases agile ends up being more like a like a cult concept of like you have all these ceremonies around it like and and they're important you know we do that we you know we have a daily stand-up and we have scrum and we have retros and it's all good that doesn't that's not what makes a company agile actually what makes a company agile is a change in the mindset of saying hey we are going to not expect in advance what's mm -hmm. going to happen we are going to actually listen to our users on an ongoing basis and based on that we're going to build software and I think that this is precisely the reason why Agile is gaining ground recently, because you mentioned before that uh, Agile is so efficient because it allows you to incorporate uncertainty into your planning, right? And yeah. in a world with so much disruption, in, in a world with so much uncertainty, you can't even expect to have sustainable success if you don't move into a methodology that's kind of best suited for this new uh, way of the world. Uh, absolutely. And, and software... It's interesting how you look at I mean, how we look at the world. I mean, the way I think about it, eventually software building, like software development, is becoming the actual coding, let's say, is becoming like slowly but surely commoditized apart from areas that are very complex, like cyber and AI. Like you have areas in, in software development that are still require quite a lot of, of like technical, mm -hmm. let's say, expertise. But you have, I mean, if you want to build now like an app, like a web app. You can go to like a bubble kind of, you know, thing and like just build it like, you know, like a low code, no code mm -hmm. platform and just build it yourself without any coding knowledge. But still, what, what is interesting is this iteration of like, okay, I built something, I give it to the users, I collect their feedback, I change it accordingly, right? So the magic, and it, this connects to the first question you asked me, the magic is at the product level. 
mm-hmm. like the magic eventually in my mind and you know of course you know you can say like you can you can say it's because i'm <laughs> i am i'm a ceo of a company that mm-hmm. works with product managers so I, I have my own bias biases for sure but in my mind eventually when you're building software in many cases the magic is like how you think about the product and how you how you shift it over time uh, uh so that's like so that's i mean for me that's like one of the core things in agile Okay, can we now go more practical? Can you share some insights, some first-hand insights from your experiences? I know that you work with companies such as you know, Kimberly-Clark, SAP, Cisco, uh, as they adopted uh, or moved into product management. Can you talk a little sure. bit about those? Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I look at these big beasts, you know, in, in a lot of fascination and honestly with a lot of like uh, awe and appreciation, mm-hmm. right? So they're trying to make a transition in a world that has really shifted very radically and very quickly. And um, they now have to adopt concepts like digital transformation and product management very, very quickly in a very short period of time. Now, the reason, you know, people have been talking about digital transformation, about this concept of product-led and, and the concept of like product management for quite some time, but um, COVID, and, you know, I think people talk about it like more and more, but the reality is that you know the COVID uh, pandemic made a huge, like it pressed the accelerate button so <laughs> aggressively, because now everything is clear now that a lot of the consumption experience and a lot of the work around logistics and marketing and sales is now software related. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to be, if you're Kimberly Clark, and you want to be selling now, you know. FMCG products, toilet papers, diapers, et cetera, et cetera. You now need to have APIs from your catalog, your digital catalog into Walmart and Target and, you know, and all these guys. And if you don't have it or if it's crap or if it's not well built or, you know, if it doesn't get, doesn't give the data, the right data to the, to the retail, to the online reader or to the retailers themselves, but even, even for their stores, you will be behind which is the interesting part, right? So, I mean, what, what happened in the world is that now in the non-digital space, like you're selling non-digital products, you still have to compete in your capabilities of building software. Mm-hmm. Because if Kimberly Clark doesn't do it, somebody else will, a competitor of Kimberly Clark will do it. And if they do it better, they'll get more shelf space in Walmart. They'll, get, they'll be an easier partner to work with. Their salespeople will not be optimizing how and who they address first because they don't know from a supply chain perspective. They don't know where the gaps are in the market. All this stuff is happening in the real, you know, quote unquote, real world, not the world of software. So that change, we work with these companies through that change. And as they understand that if they take project managers and just tell them, hey, you go build software, like in the old way of building software waterfall by the time they finish building the software it's obsolete because mm-hmm. the api on walmart side changed or you know like it's just gonna like software is moving very fast by definition it's moving moving very fast and if you don't have because you're interconnected to everything it's just not gonna happen and if you're even if you're building a completely internal system let's say you're building a marketing attribution system for the marketing teams in kimberly clark right and you just want to help them understand which channels are working better marketing mix modeling whatever it is if you're going to build it in a year and a half and by spec that you wrote a year, the whole market could have changed. The, like the whole, like the dynamics of the digital landscape moved, everything could have moved. Like cookie tracking change, you know, browser behavior change. <laughs> if you can't like cope with that, 
you're going to have crap software. So they understand that. And that's where we, uh, we come in. We help them with the, tr the transformation into this. And the way I think of change management in general, it always has three, three legs. You have people, you have processes, and you have tools, right? So that's like general change management. And we work with them practically on all levels because of our software. We, our software allows us to help both with like making product managers better at what they do. We have this thing called Guru in Craft.io, which is like kind of like a layer in the product that allows you to bring best practices of product management into the tool. And of course, we, we help solidify and clarify the processes into the tool so that people follow like a, let's say, good practice product management process so that they don't skip, for example, steps like validating your hypothesis with customers, right? You know, like mm -hmm. this is very easy to skip. I mean, a lot of people in, uh, in the product management industry, like Melissa Perry and uh, like Teresa Torres, they speak a lot about this concept of like the build trap or like, you know, like the people very, very, like a lot of product managers and the agile teams really focus on, the, on, on building stuff on like, you know, let's build a feature. Let's keep the engineers busy. That's a real strong driver. However, if you end up building stuff that nobody needs or you haven't validated with your consumers or your users, you're just building feature bloat. It's like it's mm -hmm. bad. It's like really bad use of time and you're making your software worse, which is really horrible. So the role of the product managers and, and the role of craft in that context is really to make sure that that process is being followed in a way that doesn't skip the, like, doesn't skip the steps that are so critical to the success of a product, <laughs> like discovery, like problem, like understanding the problem better. All these things are so critical to the success of, of, product, of, of, a, of a good product. Yep, yep. Some very, very good points here. Uh, I actually have a personal anecdote here from when I was working in product development and we were developing this app. We were, you know, constantly talking about features, iterating on everything, tweaking, you know, we were doing it in the proper agile way, but we fell right into this pitfall that you highlighted just now. You know what we forgot to do? We forgot to add a search feature to the app because we were so focused on everything else. And then we roll, rolled out the MVP and we had our, our co-workers test it. And like the number one piece of feedback that came back was, where the hell is the search function? And we were like, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. But, the, but, the nice thing, but the nice thing about your anecdote is that you've done an MVP yeah. and, you, and you rolled it out and you asked people what they think. That's the magic. Because if you, instead of that, two years long of building the software and big rollout, and then discover that you're missing the search functionality, then you're really in a tight spot. So you'd rather make a small mistake fast and iterate. And that's like, that's, I mean, honestly, that's a perfect example of an of awesome product, of awesome product and awesome yeah. agile delivery. Because as long as teams don't skip the step, even if it's like after they originally launched something, an MVP, it's fine. You'll have time, you'll, you'll have a small user base and you'll have time to iterate. But to your point, and that's the interesting thing. What you see in the big companies like Kimberly Clark or Fannie Mae, companies you work with, you see this, they, this, the big change in the thing is the mindset of the, the end users and the, of the users of what, whatever it is you're building. In many cases, these are internal users. Explaining to a business counterpart in a big enterprise to say like, listen, I'm going to give you something. It's probably going to be a bit shady. It's not going to be great, but I'm going to iterate very fast on it. This is not how people are accustomed to work mm -hmm. with. They want to say, I want exactly this, you know, green button, blue, that, you know, five, five things on the menu, whatever. And that's it. And that's what I want. And you build me exactly that. And then you tell them, no, 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 listen, I, if I build you that, you're going to get like 
all random, all, all sort of random thing, and then I, I'm going to run out. Of, you're not going to be happy with it. Let me build something very nimble, very quickly. I give that to you. You tell me your feedback, and then we'll iterate. This is a mind shift at the side of the users as it is. And the thing, the funny thing is, as consumers, we're all accustomed to this. Like we get like software update, you know, like you get a new version of Android on your phone. You're waiting for the bugs to come up, you know, like you just know it's going to, you know, you're just going to know your phone is going to be a little bit crappy now for a little bit. For a little bit. And then afterwards, it's going to be better. And it's like how, pe- how we're used to now consuming software. But in large enterprises, that's still, that mindset still hasn't shifted because they're so used to like, you know, this big agile, like this big waterfall kind of mm-hmm. projecty thingies. So that's like the mindset shift is you need to do beyond just the product manager themselves. You need to shift the minds of the end users. So which is kind of interesting. Yeah, that's basically the people part of the, yeah, yeah. Of the digital transformation of Ab- the big pillars. Abs- yeah, Ab- absolutely. And yeah, we already started talking about the MVP or the minimum viable product. I know yes. that this is this is you know key both for product development as well as for agile because you know it's based on taking this iterative approach as we just talked about. Can we talk a little bit more about this about the minimum viable product and its yes. role? Ab- absolutely. I mean, we're in a podcast. I'm not going to show anything, but there's a very famous mm-hmm. you know there's the there's a very famous cartoon kind of diagram of like showing like a skateboard and then a bicycle and then a, you know you know this and then a motorcycle cycle and then a car mm-hmm. versus like a car with just the wheels and then all like the the concept of mvp is is very elusive and it's very confusing to people and i also think by the way different companies in different stages of maturity will have different concepts around mvp it's okay it's like a moving it's not a like one size fits all concept because mm-hmm. like an mvp for google today is not the same as an mvp for craft today because yeah. we are a, we're a young startup and we're i mean we're growing and we're happy and everything is fine but we're still you know we're still like below 100 people and we're and we're rapidly growing and we want to iterate fast and that's okay if you are 200 200 people google people have expectations and people have like so the concept so the first thing i would say about mvp is that the concept is different between different stages of maturity of the company and in some cases of the product right so you can have an mvp feature but in a product that is so mature that you're going to need to do some mm-hmm. more minimum, like the minimum thing that needs to be checked. The other thing is the concept of MVP is very simple. It basically says like, get something out the door that delivers some value. Like, and that's one of the things that people really miss out on. I speak to a lot of product managers, like really, like that's part of my day-to-day work and I love it. But in many cases, people forget about the fact, you know, you can't release an MVP if it doesn't have value to the users. It's not useful. Like MVP has to deliver value. It doesn't have to be all the value. It doesn't have to be amazing. It has to deliver value. And so like the, like when you say minimum viable product, I think that's what the viable kind of stands for eventually. Like the viability comes from the notion that says like it actually gives some value to the user. So and it could like, also be minimum valuable product. Exactly. I mean, it's still MVP kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's really, for me, that's like one of the things that, like one of the big mistakes in, in MVP is like you, you shift things out and they just don't have, or in some cases, by the way, in, in work, I've seen people sh- ship an MVP, which detracts value. Like you have like an MVP version that like actually reduces, like and I've seen that happen. <laughs> in reality, that happens uh, because not because of like bad intentions by anybody or, or, or whatnot. It's just because you want to ship fast. Mm-hmm. And MVP, of course, one of the concepts of MVP is to say like, 
bring something to the market, get feedback and iterate on it. That's logic and that's fine. But it's a really fine balance in my mind between like, because sometimes you can bring something to the market that is so unready, uncooked, you know what I mean? That you can end up so disappointing your customers, so disappointing your customers that they might, you know, run away from your product mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? So, and then you might get the wrong impression about a feature. So there's like, it's really a delicate balance. And I think eventually good product practitioners know where to strike that balance. And, you know, and, and, you know I, I, I'm very fortunate to work with Ronnie, who's our chief product officer, who's like so clear about like where that, that line cut, but it's not an, I don't think there's like an obvious recipe to say like, hey, where do you cut the line? Where is like, this is now minimum viable kind of thing. But the only thing you need to make sure is like, one thing is that you actually deliver a minimum value to the user mm-hmm. and that, and no less important that you iterate on it very fast. The other thing I've seen some people do is like you, you launch an MVP and then it just stays there, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that's the, that's the end kind of thing. And if you don't, if you actually don't intend to have a phase one and a phase two and a phase three, you need to think about the concept of MVP for yourself. The whole purpose, the whole model behind MVP is that you iterate on it. If you're saying, hey, actually afterwards, I'm not going to, I won't be able to touch it ever, which might happen then you might want to bring something a little bit more, more mature into the market. Kind yeah, of I, I think the main purpose, I mean, in, in my own view, the main purpose of the MVP should be to enable you really thorough and really concrete user feedback, right? Because, yeah. you, know, you know, because you can do user research preemptively for a product that you're intending yeah, to yeah, build yeah. and you don't really know don't really know how it will play out when it's actually built, when they're actually using it. But with, a, with an MVP, you get that other, you know, the practical side of the practical side of the yeah, product. Yeah, and I, I, of course, user research, I mean, in that sense, I mean, it's obviously very valuable, but has a lot of limitations in that sense, mm-hmm. right? So because yeah. you can't, I mean, users, until they actually put their hands on a piece of software, they have no clue. And by the way, interestingly enough, in, in software that doesn't solve obvious problems, users can be like completely agnostic to the, to the like until they actually feel the MVP. Like if you think of a company like Airbnb, they've invented a new category in a way, mm-hmm. right? So and if you just do user research on it, people will say like, "What? I want to live in somebody else's flat." It doesn't make you know, like you know what I mean. Like the the no, until they actually have a, an experience that they can actually feel, they are not going to give the, the feedback is going to be very conceptual and could be very wrong in a way, right? So like the, to your point, the like shipping something out is important. But, mm-hmm. and by the way, I mean, again, to emphasize the original point I started with, it really depends where you are in, the, in your life stage as a company. Mm-hmm. If you're in early stage startup, you don't have a product yet, you're just validating the market, you get an MVP out there, as fa- it could be like completely like smoke and mirrors, right? So it's just like a website that with, a, with a button that clicks on it, that's it. <laughs> Nothing happens after. And that's, a, mm-hmm. that's okay for an MVP for like you know it really depends on how fast you need to validate and how big of the validation is, is unique as you mature in your product life cycle then mvp concepts change quite dramatically I would mm-hmm. say. yeah at, at first i mean for for a really small company even just a clickable wireframe can exactly. do the job exactly. yeah. like, like an envision with some yeah, yeah abs- absolutely yeah, yeah. that's that gives people a really good sense right so and that's and that's fantastic for an mvp i mean you know probably you might want to code a little bit, but uh, you know, it, it really, so this concept 
because it's such a broad concept and it is used in so many spaces in product management, in, uh, in agile development, you know, it's like, it really depends. Yeah, I think some great points here as well. And I'm really loving this conversation. And I, I think that we're, we've covered a lot of stuff, but one important thing that I want to ask you is sure. how should, you know, what, what would be your tips for the companies that uh, are starting a move to a product management approach or are changing, are facing challenges, are having trouble implementing it uh, what would you advise to these kind of companies and these kind of uh, company owners? Yeah, I would say probably three things that come to my mind, like as, as the three things to, to think about. One, you cannot fudge the mindset shift. It's very easy to fudge it. Very, very easy to fudge it, but you cannot fudge it. And I think a lot of companies get that really wrong. Like I see that a lot, in, especially in enterprise land. I see that happen quite often where people are like, yeah, and then like, you know, they put posters and like, you know, now <laughs> there are no offices anymore. Like conceptually, they would have put a poster and now it's virtual posters. But like you talk about Agile and you explain the notions that the mindset shift really has to come from the leadership and trickle down of accepting this notion of like, yes, we're going to iterate and it's not going to be perfect at the beginning and you're going to get a better version later and, 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 and this like, and this commitment this mindset is basically this commitment to say like, hey, I'm just, I trust the people in the squads or in my scrum teams to over time come up with the best thing for us. That mindset shift, I always see it underestimated, like mm -hmm. always. And like, and then people really fall very easily into their old habits of like, okay, but I want to know what am I getting for this money, right? So I'm giving you now $10 million budget. What features are you building for me? <laughs> and if you are as a leader asking that question, you are breaking down the whole concept of agile, product management, product mindset. It's, it breaks it because then people immediately shift their minds into, oh, I need to commit to features, first of all. Right. So and then that immediately is like you're just moved to agile, from agile land to waterfall land. It's mm -hmm. just how it is. So that's first one. So the first one is like. Don't underestimate the cultural shift that needs to happen in the organization. And as a leader, you need to lead that concept. You, if you're sitting in an annual planning and you're asking, like giving the list of features for the next uh, 24 months, you broke it. it it's going to die. You're not going to succeed in, in change management. Like in, in that. So that's one. The second thing I would say is that invest in the people, processes, and tools, right? So, I mean, I, we see a lot of companies it's a really big differentiation, to be honest, that companies that invest in like bring, building in like centers of excellence and pr like transformation teams are better at this. And the reason why they're better at this, at this change, like this, this shift to product management. And the reason is because they have people whose job is to say, okay, we are going to help the organization transform. We're going to help the organization change and shift and become better at this. And because you need to change people, processes, and tools, that's a lot of change management on your hands, right? So you need to train people. You need to agree together with the teams on processes and you need to embed tools so that they solidify the people and the processes into something that is scalable. All this stuff really has to, like really needs an owner, like somebody who, so like when I talk to CIOs of big companies, I would say, hey, if you want to make a really big shift in your company, build a transformation team or a center of excellence or something that says like, hey, I decided as a CIO, decided to invest resources and efforts in making that transformation successful. 
right? So and I, you know, sometimes these these things become like you know like a, they 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 could be sources of cynicism. But I'm a really big believer in them because I think without them, people just would re- organically revert to their old habits because that's how you know. So you need like change agents in the company. Mm-hmm. So that would be my second thing. And then my my third thing: don't fall into the trap of agile cultness. <laughs> I don't know exactly how to say that. There's a lot of this in, in I've seen that a lot in companies where you know you said, okay, I decided to become an agile company, so we're going to implement safe okay, as an enterprise. Now, I don't have anything against safe. Safe is a fantastic framework for like you know like scaled agile in large enterprises, and that's great and value streams and whatnot. And I mean, you have a lot of beautiful frameworks within the world of agile for smaller companies, for bigger companies. It's all good. Ceremonies and frameworks don't make the change. Don't confuse that with that. They are enablers of change. They are supporters of change. But the fact that you've changed everybody's acronyms and you confuse the entire organization doesn't make you an agile company. All it does, it makes you maybe an agile sounding company or a product sounding company, but it doesn't make you product mindset. The real shift is in the mindset and the real shift is in the trust that you entrust the people of building the software for you. So you need to look at just like really look, how do you say, deeply into when you're doing your change management and avoid falling into the trap of like, like just doing agile by naming conventions and ceremonies. These are important, but they're not the end all be all. The mindset is the key. I think on a recent episode, our guest used the perfect word that I think that you're looking for right now. He called this agile theater. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. I will steal it for my own benefit from now on, but it, it's perfect. Yes, it's exactly that. And by the way, it creates, as a side note, I would say in many cases, it creates a huge amount of confusion mm-hmm. because you change everybody's terms. Like people, they don't know what they're talking anymore. Like people talk in arts and value streams and they don't know what like they read. And again, I'm not saying I am craft as a concept believes that you can build, you bring your own methodology and we will embed it in the tool in a way that is good for you. We're, we're methodology agnostic in the sense that we, mm-hmm. we believe that all methodologies are good because eventually they're all built under similar principles of saying like, look at the focus on the customer, iterate fast, like the, the, the good practices of Agile. That's how they're built and, and bring value. And even the, you know, the concept value seems, again, it's like, an, like it's like an abstraction level of that concept as well the being in this theater as, as you call it eventually creates a really big gap between mm-hmm. the realities of the organization and how everybody behaves in this in the ceremonies and that's for us that's really that's like more dangerous than not doing change in a way because then you're like claiming to do it like you think and then people people just start being cynical about it people start being cynical about the notions of agile and about the notion of like this mindset shift well, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that was actually a perfect note to finish on. I think that we, I think we covered, as I said, we covered a lot of really interesting areas. I think we, we highlighted a lot of interesting, unique insights. I really enjoyed our conversation today, Elad. Just before we wrap up the call, sure. uh, if our listeners wanted to reach out or learn more about you or learn more about craft, uh, where can they reach you? First of all, Super enjoyed our conversation as well. It was fantastic mm-hmm. uh, chatting about it. I'm very, as you can see, I'm very passionate about these topics. <laughs> I'm always happy to talk about this. Feel free to p- reach out personally to me. Uh, I'm elad at craft.io, elad, E-L-A-D, 
at craft.io, and the, the same as you spell the word craft. Uh, and the website is craft.io as well. So and feel free to find us either there or uh, uh, ping me a note directly and uh, happy to connect with uh, agile practitioners, product enthusiasts, uh, and, the, and the rest. Awesome. I'll make sure to include all the relevant info in the show notes. Thanks okay. again. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Tim. Well, to our listeners, that's all for this episode. Have a great day, everyone, and stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to check out our other episodes, you can find all of them at agiledrop.com slash podcast, as well as on all the most popular podcasting platforms. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues.